0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be
1: found at www.wpcgreenwood.org.
0: Well, well, good morning, and once again, welcome uh, to Westminster. Um, It's an absolute honor. And joy uh, to, to be with you uh, this morning. And
1: I just want to say something just quickly
0: uh, before we get to the sermon. It's just very
1: simple. Um, I love this church. I do. I really do. And uh, it's so great to be welcomed here. It's great to be with you. I really, really love you
0: guys. Well, um, I'm I'm actually uh, continuing the series that that you guys have been doing in the book of Luke. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 10.
1: Um, Let me pray and I'll read the text. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone,
0: but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it would nourish us today in ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is the bread of heaven. Amen.
1: Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe
0: to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one
1: of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents,
0: forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent,
1: you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord
0: said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? And dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he think that the servant, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is God's word for God's people. So recently I was watching one of these, uh, you, you guys know those YouTube short videos that probably used to be a TikTok back in the day. And now it's on on YouTube. And the, the video, it came into my, uh, into my feed. And it was this video where a bunch of people, they, they were standing in line at, at a coffee shop. We, we've all been in one of those situations where we're standing in line. We're trying to get to the counter so we can make uh, our order. Well, th- this woman comes into the front. And she's wearing scrubs, and, and she decided that she needs to be in the front of the line. And so what she did is she just cut to the front of the line. Now, as you imagine, the people who had been standing there patiently waiting for their turn, they actually didn't appreciate that this woman had cut all the way uh, to the front. They, they'd been waiting, right? Waiting for their turn. And so they did what people do. They confronted her. They called her out on it. And as they were confronting this woman for cutting in line, it became clear that she actually felt that she deserved to be at the front of the line. She thought that she had done nothing wrong. And the
1: reason that she gave for being able to cut to the front of the line was this. She said, I'm a nurse. That's what she said. And she goes on and
0: she claimed in the video that because she she saves lives all day, every day. And so because she does that in her job, that means that she doesn't have to stand in line at coffee shops anymore. Like all the other regular people who go to their normal jobs and don't save lives every day, all day. Well, the the people, they they thanked her for being a nurse. Like, it's a good thing
1: uh, to be a nurse. And then they also asked her to go to the back of the line, right? You see, being a nurse
0: doesn't earn anyone a cut to the front of the line at coffee shops or really anywhere else. Well, this is a little bit like what Jesus is teaching in this passage. You see, there are people that believe that all of the things that they do for God or at their church, that they amount to something, uh, for, and that all of their hard work, what it does is it earns them special privileges, not only with God, but also with the people of God and the kingdom of God. Like, as, as though they have some kind of VIP status in the kingdom of God. They, they think that they pray more than other people. They, they, they think that their morals are better than than everybody else. They, 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 in fact, that some will say that they're more concerned about global missions than than everybody else in in their church, or, or maybe that their doctrine is better than anybody else in the whole wide world. Or maybe they, they've been the best Bible study leader in their town, in their church, wherever, or, or, or maybe that there could be even some pastors. And you guys maybe have seen this. They think that because they serve God in their vocation, then that must mean that they have special privileges with God and with others. And we've all seen spiritual leaders use that self-deception to lead into all kinds of sin. Well, the reality is that Jesus says, as his sort of attitude, it's like the servant that has done good work in the field
1: all day. He's hot, he's tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's done good
0: work. And because of this good work, he expects to be served a meal by his master, so that way he can rest at his table. And what Jesus is saying is that this sort of thinking is diluted, this servant is deluded. The truth is is that the the master isn't there for the servant. The servant is actually there for the master. It's not the master's job to to make life
1: easy for the servant. See, we're we're servants of Christ. We're to serve him.
0: And so in in this text, Jesus is really showing us that, that our obedience to him doesn't really earn us anything. Nada zilch, nothing. Our, our obedience to Christ, it, it doesn't get us a, a ticket to the front of the line or a special invite to the great banquet. Our, our obedience is simply what disciples of Jesus do. That's what we do. And what's interesting is that the particular obedience that Jesus is calling his disciple to in this passage is forgiveness. Disciples of Christ are called to forgive. We are to forgive people that have hurt us, harmed us, done evil to us. That's what obedience looks like in this passage. But but but, but forgiveness is also an act of faith. It takes faith to be able to forgive somebody. And so this morning we have... Two points that, that we're going to be looking at we're going to be looking at forgiveness and faith. it takes faith to forgive and so let, let's look at our first point forgiveness and, and as we get going, I just want you to notice who Jesus is talking to in this passage he, He's talking to the disciples and so if you've been if, if you've been here recently, uh, I want you to remember that jesus he's he's coming out off of a few chapters where, where of opposition. And the opposition has been coming from the Pharisees. And so he's been speaking to that group, the Pharisees. And now he's speaking to his little group uh, of disciples. And he's, he's talked to the Pharisees. He's talked about their, their self-righteousness. He's addressed their pride. He's talked about the, the fact that they just love their money just so much and more. He, he's really, really gone after them. And so after all of this opposition that, that he's faced from the Pharisees, Jesus, it's like Jesus has got his, his friends his colleagues, the, the the people that they're not opposing him. They're actually following him. And, and, and it's almost as though Jesus is telling them, look, I've been facing these guys. I want to pull you aside and we're just going to have a talk. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, don't be like those guys. And here's how you're not going to be like those guys. Look what he says in verse one. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are... Sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. You, you, could, you could almost see the subtweet there, right? He's talking about those guys that he, that he's been uh, addressing. Here, here's what Jesus is saying: stumbling blocks—they're they're inevitable. That this is what he means when when tem- when he says that temptations are sure to come, like like the ugliness of sin. It's everywhere, right? It's a dark, dark world with lots and lots of sin. We all have opportunity each and every day to sin. This is what Jesus is saying. And we can see this uh, in the news. We can scroll our our, our Twitter feed or Facebook or whatever social media you happen to be on. There is sin everywhere. There are lots and lots of opportunities for you and I to be led astray each and every day there are even religious leaders who who engage in spiritual compromise uh, against God and and this can take all sorts of of forms so some will just lay huge stumbling blocks before the little ones this is what the Pharisees were doing and and they put they tend to put these stumbling blocks today uh, in front of people who are weak he, pe- people who are vulnerable as they as they're being drawn to Christ they they just make it harder for them to find faith so sometimes this looks like false Doctrine. It it can be the pastor that has some sort of soapbox and and they they don't know how to get off of their soapbox ever. And that soapbox, it it could be legalism. It could could also go the other way into lawlessness. Like
1: all of these things that we're talking about can turn people away from simple faith in Jesus Christ. Or there are some religious leaders that, that can claim to
0: follow after Christ but they always seem to get caught in some kind of scandal. And these days, it seems like we can't go a month without hearing about another pastor, sometimes a celebrity pastor that's caught up in another scandal. And these scandals, they tend to have to do stuff with like money, with power, with an inappropriate relationship, false teaching, whatever it is.
1: Here's what Jesus is saying. We live in a fallen world. And people are going to be tempted. that there's temptation
0: from outside the, these walls. there's going to be temptation that we have to deal with within the church. And guess what? There's going to be temptation that each of us have to deal with in our own hearts. But woe to us if we are the ones causing the temptation
1: to others. And so if you are the tempter, if that's you. That's bad. That's really bad. Woe to you, is what Jesus is saying.
0: And the reality is, like, you know, we could step back and we could say, like, I'm I'm not the tempter, but but all of us become the tempter all the time in our daily lives. We we initiate gossip. And you know what happens when you initiate gossip? I'm gonna talk about this over here. I'm tempting others to engage in that gossip. It's a temptation. Or we, we, we don't even realize we're doing it. We'll, we'll boast about all of our stuff and the vacations we're going on. And what that does is that causes other people to be jealous, to have contempt, even to be unhappy with what God might've put in their hands. And to the person that tempts others into sin, Jesus says this, look at verse two. It would be better for him If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. As one commentator put it, it would be better to die. That's what Jesus is saying. Put a millstone around his neck and toss him in the sea. He's not going to be able to swim. He's not going to survive. Jesus is saying it would be better to die even a horrible death than to cause a little one to stumble and to ultimately incur the woe of which Jesus warns. Better for the disciple or leader or pastor to die than to teach a false doctrine. Better to die than to have a a lifestyle that trips others into sin. Better to die than to have attitudes that drive other people away from Christ.
1: Better to die. And here's what's interesting. At this point in Jesus' teaching, he he doesn't turn to some of the big sins that that we might be
0: thinking about, like 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 stealing or murder or adultery. And I even mentioned gossip or or being something even worse, like 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 a soccer fan. It'd be terrible, right? Or a Wisconsin Badgers fan. I just don't I just
1: don't get that, right? he doesn't turn to any of those horrible things like you and i might expect he turns to the need to forgive look at verse 3 he says pay attention to yourselves
0: if your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents forgive him now i just want to recognize the progression here in this in this command that that jesus is is giving us it's very similar what you find in in Matthew 18. Jesus says that if if somebody sins against you, if somebody sins, and we can assume that it's a it's against you because there's a call to forgive. Like if if somebody does something to somebody else, usually I don't have, I don't struggle with forgiving that person, but I really do struggle if it's against me. That that's that's more difficult. And so if somebody sins against you, you Jesus is saying you go to the person and you rebuke them. And what we know from the rest of Scripture is that the, the rebuke, it, it should be gentle. It should be done in love. Just a, just a simple statement of what has happened and how you're offended or how you're hurt. And let's, let's be honest. Like That is not easy, right? That is really, really difficult. That, that's a hard conversation to have with, with, with another person. It's, it's not natural movement. Like none of us like to move towards someone that has done us wrong. We we would much rather go somewhere else. It's much easier to just let it slide and forget about it. it or or we we'd love to have the right conversation, but most of the time
1: what we do is we have the right conversation with the wrong person, right? We call it venting. But just
0: consider this wise advice if you were engaged in this sort of conversation with somebody.
1: Be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then once you have spoken, once you have rebuked your brother or your sister, Jesus says if they repent, the call is to forgive.
0: And by the way, if if we pull back from just this scripture, the the, the whole of scripture, the overwhelming evidence is that even even if they don't forgive or, or don't repent, and we're still to forgive. This is one of the rare places where it's, it's conditional. And forgiveness, it, we, we all know that it's, it's difficult, it's not an easy thing to do, and we've been wronged by another person. What we want is, is justice, and we tend to hold on to our grudges really, really tightly, and our, our inner lawyer gets really, really active, and suddenly we become experts in the scales of justice, and we know that the, the scales of justice are not balancing in our way, and, and this can cause all kinds of problems in our lives. But But Jesus... From that command, he ramps it up even more. He makes it even more difficult. He says in verse four, he says, and if he sins against you seven times in the day, in one day, if he just keeps doing it in one day, seven
1: times, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, he says, you must forgive him. You have to. Like like the command, like we we just want to look at Jesus and just say, Jesus, have you read Boundaries? Do you know about boundaries? These are not good boundaries. But he says it. It's not easy. And the disciples, they know it's
0: not easy because look at how they respond. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. It's like they're admitting that they can't do it. They, they know that this is an impossible thing. If, if somebody did that to me, like sinned against me seven times in
1: one day and kept saying, I, I repent, like I'd be furious. Yet that's the call. And the disciples, they, they, they're asking for some faith because they know they can't do it. They
0: know they need more faith to be able to forgive in the sort of way that, that Jesus is talking about, which brings us to our next point, faith. So if you're familiar with, with the movie the, the Princess Bride or maybe the book, then you'll know about the character Inigo Montoya. You guys remember him? Yeah. So he, he's a Spanish fencer and he's dedicated his life to the mastery of fencing because he wants to avenge the murder of his father. That, that That's what he's after. And so he studies and he practices and he becomes the best sword fighter that, that he could, maybe in the world. And he's searching for the man that's murdered his father, who happened to be a man that had six fingers on his right hand. And so he's always looking
1: for this six fingered man. And he even had a speech. You remember the speech? He knows what he's going to say. Hello. My name is Enigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Remember that?
0: And the story, it's kind of funny because the movie, let's face it, it's kind of funny. But at the same time, all of us, even though it's a ridiculous story, we can relate to Enigo Montoya. He's us. Like all of us, we have carried a grudge for a wrong that was... Done for us. We know what it's like to be seeking after justice for years and years and years over something that happened a long time ago. So maybe when you were younger, it was that mean girl in your class that seemed to always do what she could to make you feel small. And you would just dream of the perfect comeback or the perfect response that would make this mean girl put her, you just want to put her back in her place with words. Or maybe some of you, you've had a really bad boss at your work, and you just felt that this person, they were out to get you, or they just made bad decisions, or they were aloof, or, or whatever it was. They, they, they were not the best boss, even though they walked around with that mug that said, world's best
1: boss, and it would just make you angry every time. They were terrible at being a boss, and you loved talking about it. And you still get angry
0: about the things that happened during your time there. Or, or maybe you are the boss. Maybe you own a business and you've had employees that were just awful. And you're still mad at them or you're mad at them today. Or, or maybe, maybe you are someone who, who lives with anger tor- towards a friend or maybe a family member over something that happened years ago. And, and you can't even be in the same room with that person without feeling your blood pressure go. up. You avoid this person. You pick fights with this person. If somebody says something nice about that person, you say something. You say, well, I heard, and you know
1: how it goes. Like all these scenarios, they're familiar to all of us. Now, we aren't Inigo Montoya, but we have something in common. It's that we love revenge. We do, don't we?
0: You see, the philosophy for life for most people is this. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. You do me wrong. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hold a grudge or get even. We, we read it earlier. Do you remember? Eye for eye, tooth for
1: truth. And this is the recipe for disaster. It's how relationships fall apart. It's how churches split at the seams. It's how wars begin. Between nations. And to this
0: sort of thinking, Jesus turns the tables. And he says, if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And it takes faith to be able to forgive another person when they have wronged you, because it's not the natural thing that all of us want to do. And disciples know this. And that's why they ask for faith. And then Jesus, he says, you don't need a lot of faith, right? He gives them a picture of the kind of faith and of what faith looks like. It looks like a mustard seed. And so it's not
1: a big faith that's required. It's just a tiny, tiny little bit of faith that you need. Mustard was the smallest of all the seeds. You guys know this.
0: And so what Jesus is saying is that it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It does not matter.
1: Uh, it's not a matter of more or less faith. It's the object of our faith that matters. That's what matters.
0: And so the amount or the quality of our faith, it doesn't matter. As one commentator put it, it's not so much great faith in God that is required. What's required is just a little bit of faith in a great God. And notice the the way we come to faith. It's not through hard work. We, we don't approach God with, with the expectation that all of our hard work or good deeds are going to earn something from him. Our relationship with God isn't doing, uh, isn't doing our duty so that way we can get him to, to be good to us. And too many of us, we, we think that this is how we uh, th- how we are in relationship with God. We think that we've earned it. And to this attitude, Jesus shows us what true faith looks like. Look at verse 10. He says, so you also,
1: when you've done all that you were commanded, say. So here's what he's saying. So when you were obedient, when you've done good work, when you've done what you were supposed to do, say this. We are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. And and the truth is that is that this is hard for us to accept, right? Like God doesn't owe us anything, yet He's given us His grace, and we didn't earn it. It wasn't our hard work, it wasn't our obedience. It was just given. J. C. Ryle he he put it this way: He that desires
0: to be saved must be willing to renounce his own righteousness and to trust in the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ. And it's so difficult to admit that that we deserve nothing from God, isn't it? We prefer to think that we do deserve something from God. But when we finally do surrender to, to the grace of God, that there is this amazing thing that happens. Jesus does exactly what a master never does. Did you see that? Like when we surrender to grace, Jesus makes himself the servant of our salvation. He's our master, and then he becomes our savior when, when we surrender. He, he even brings you to the table that you don't deserve to sit at. This table that we're coming to in a little bit, we don't deserve to come to that table. We're the servants. Yet, yet Jesus is doing exactly what he said nobody does. And you come to the table and he feeds you his body. He gives you his blood. He humbles himself to serve his people so that we could be with him. He does exactly what he says no master
1: ever does. And that happens when we surrender. When we realize that we don't deserve to be there.
0: You see, if you think you deserve to be with Christ because of your good
1: work or your good deeds, then guess what? You don't get to sit at the table. That's what Jesus is saying. But
0: but if you know you don't deserve anything from God, and if you approach him as unworthy,
1: as just a, a recipient of grace, well, he gives you everything. Everything. Including the ability to forgive others. And so, if a person knows that they're not worthy, would it not follow that
0: this person would be the kind of person that would be willing to forgive others? If you know you deserve nothing from God yet he gave you everything, wouldn't it be more likely that you'd be willing to forgive somebody that doesn't deserve your forgiveness?
1: See, these kind of people, they they're so familiar with their own sin their own brokenness. They know their
0: hearts. They know their own self-deceptions. They know it all. They're familiar with what happens inside of our hearts. And because of that, they stop expecting perfection from other people. This is the sort of person that has looked to Jesus. That they have seen him, they, who had no sin, who, who never wronged another person, who came to set the prisoners free, who told people the truth, who, who came to seek and save the lost. Yet, yet he went to the cross. He suffered on the cross and he died on the cross. And while he was on the cross, he showed
1: the level of his mercy. Remember what he said? He said, forgive them. Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing.
0: And it's his death on the cross that becomes our salvation. He, he took the wrath of God so that all of us who are his people can be saved. We get grace and mercy. And so the, the way we learn to forgive others is by pressing into how we've been forgiven by God, if we understand how precious it is to be forgiven by God, if we know how much it costs God to forgive us, if we know that we are sinners in need of forgiveness each and every day, like we are the ones that come to God each and every day, seven times every day and say,
1: I repent and, and God forgives us. He does that each and every day. And if we know that, to the the depths of our being, then we will forgive others. Jesus, he asks this question. Will any one of you who has a servant
0: plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at
1: table? And the answer is that none of us who have servants will invite them in for dinner after they've worked. We don't do that. Only Christ will do that. And so as we come to the table,
0: remember that that we come to this table as a servant of Christ, yet Christ is serving us. Only Christ has said to his servants, come at once and recline at this table. Come now. He's the only king that does this for his people. And so we, we come to this table as unworthy. We come knowing we, we didn't earn it because we know that he earned it. And so we come ultimately as people who received grace.
1: And we know what that means because we've seen Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We, we confess that as your people, we are sinners. We, we've turned our backs
0: to you time and time again. We, we've worshipped idols and not you, and, and we do this each and every day. So we ask that you would forgive us. And, and more than that, we ask that you would uh, lead, lead us to be a forgiving people that shows grace to others the same way you've shown grace to us. Help us to forgive those that, that have done us wrong, knowing that you've shown us forgiveness. And may the grace that we've received be the motivation to extend grace to others.
1: Help us remember that blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And it's in the name
0: of Christ we pray. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.